We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, is Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, is the weather as beautiful in Sacramento as it is in the South Bay today? Yeah, for the first time ever, I, I the way my desk sits, it sits right underneath the window in my office. And for the first time ever, I'm recording with the window open because it's so freaking nice outside. That's awesome. That's really cool. So I'm in a really good mood today because I just got a haircut. Uh, I had a really good workout. The weather's good. It's Friday. Uh, So hopefully you're feeling the same way as you listen to our podcast. We are done with our free agency previews. You can go back and listen to those. Today we're going to talk about the draft in the NFL Combine uh, because that's where the NFL world will be next week in Indianapolis. Um, And so we we started having this, this interesting discussion about the 49ers and and sort of uh, a macro view of, of their approach heading into next week and, and the draft, which is in two months, and obviously free agency is in a couple weeks. But uh, the Antonio Brown discussion, uh, just let's start with that, because that's sort of going to paint a picture of how the 49ers approach the draft, I think. And, and we were talking about, you know, with that, with that 36 overall pick, the second round pick, uh, it looks like right now, like we said, with the draft two months out, that there's there are going to be a lot of receivers that could be within that range. Guys like A.J. Brown from Mississippi, uh, Debo Samuel, Riley Ridley, Andy Isabella. Uh, that There could be some good players in that range. And, and Kyle, you made a point that that I think is a really good one, especially, you know, when talking about Antonio Brown, obviously the 49ers were, were the NFL's worst red zone offense and they could use a receiver who could get open and, and, you know, when the field's condensed and in small spaces, 
Uh, and that could be the difference between them taking the, the offense to the next level or sort of be staying in that in that tier of mediocrity. Uh, but you made a point that, you know, looking at the offense and and how, you know, the Niners had the 16th ranked passing attack last season using three quarterbacks. Obviously, Nick Mullins played pretty well. C.J. Beathard didn't so much. Jimmy Grapple only played, uh, you know, less than three games. But the offense was still relatively productive considering they had an undrafted rookie at quarterback, an undrafted, a former undrafted rookie at running back in Matt Breida, the, one of their most used receivers was a former undrafted rookie. So you made a point that maybe the 49ers don't necessarily need Antonio Brown, particularly at what it could cost them given the options early in the second round pick early in the second round at, at pick number 36. Yeah, I just I'm not sure if that price for the 49ers in particular because of because of Kyle Shanahan's uh, offensive prowess. I, I don't think that a player like Brown is is necessary to make this offense succeed or to get this offense to another level because like you mentioned they were they moved the ball through the air pretty effectively with CJ Beathard and Nick Mullins playing 95% of the games last year with a banged up receiving core and um no no real uh, Dante Pettis's second round pick but no no real like stars at the position and the idea that they need to add Antonio Brown, this elite top 10 receiver ever, I, I, I don't think that's outrageous, is I think a little bit off base because Shanahan has done such a good job in his career of squeezing all of the talent out of little known receivers. Uh, so many guys have had, like Pierre Garçon had his best year as a pro under Shanahan. Uh, Julio Jones until recently had his best years as a pro under Shanahan. Same thing with Andre Johnson we consistently see him uh, make things work and get the most out of, out of non elite receivers. And when you look at the number 36 pick, what they can get at receiver or what they might be able to get at receiver or at another position of need. uh, I think that's just way too valuable to give up for, for Antonio Brown when I think the 49ers can survive without him. Yeah. And that's how we sort of started. The conversation was, would you give up, the 36 overall pick for Antonio Brown straight up. And it might be that that's what, you know, it comes down to. I don't know. I mean, it only takes one team to to offer a first round pick in a trade, right? Uh, We saw the Cowboys do it with Amari Cooper last year. And obviously Antonio Brown is a much better player than Amari Cooper, but Antonio Brown comes with a slew of questions off the field, uh, which we've talked about at length and would obviously provide a, a significant amount of risk if you, make that deal, particularly if he's trying to get a new contract, uh, which he talked about in his infamous Instagram video where he called himself Mr. Big Chest. Um, So the question is, is like, you know, do you feel good enough about Kendrick Bourne taking a step forward? Obviously, they have really high hopes for Dante Pettis, who could turn into, I think, a, you know, a possible thousand yard receiver at some point down the line. Marquise Goodwin has proven, I mean, he's been wildly inconsistent. Uh, he had only 395 yards last year and 23 catches, but he had almost a thousand yards the year before when the 49ers had Brian Hoyer and CJ Beathard and, and Jimmy Garoppolo playing quarterback. And obviously he played really well with Garoppolo down that stretch where they went five, five and oh. So if you're banking on teams, opposing teams, you know, really focusing on George Kittle, who's probably not going to have 1300 yards again next year. I mean, he might, 
but I think the odds are, you know, Kittle is probably from here on out. I would expect George Kittle to have anywhere between 850 to to 1200 yards, like basically on average, like that's the range I would expect George Kittle to be in. And just because of variance and randomness and injuries and whatever teams are are really going to focus on Kittle next year because he was far and away the team's most dynamic playmaker on offense in 2018. So is Bourne going to take a step forward? Is Dante Pettis going to take a step forward? Is Marquise Goodwin going to stay healthy and be what he was at the end of 2017? And if all those things happen, and obviously a lot happens in the league and and their injuries and, and different things happen, but if those three guys really take steps forward and they potentially add a receiver with that 36 overall pick who could be really good, then, you know, you, to your point, you, you might be fine. You might have a productive enough offense if the rest of the team improves to, to be where you want to be without having to deal with Antonio Brown's off the field stuff or contract issues. Um, And, you know, there's a whole financial aspect of it. The second round pick on a rookie contract is going to be significantly cheaper than Antonio Brown, who's going to have a $15 million cap hit next year. So, I mean, these are all questions that the 49ers are assuredly asking themselves. And I went back and uh, I actually, you know, I, I wrote about 49ers culture uh, and how, you know, John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan sort of curated it last August. And there were some quotes uh, that I got from Shanahan that I didn't use in the story that that were seem, you know, were really pertinent uh, to this Antonio Brown discussion. Um, and I wrote about it this week. Let me pull it up here. Basically. I mean, Shanahan has has long said that, you know, one player is not going to, no matter how good that player is, and and it's not going to change his opinion on on how to build culture. Uh, And as an ad plays, let me let me find this quote. So, okay, quote, it always starts with guys who are going to help you win. But I just feel through experience, you learn that not one guy is really ever worth it if he's going to hold people back. And so if you want to bring in someone real talented when you're trying to change something who doesn't have the right attitude, and as soon as you lose a couple games in a row, that person's going to make it very hard. Uh, I think creating our culture has been a lot easier than expected. Basically talking about the guys that he's brought in, uh, that they've brought into to the building since they came in in 2017. Um, and I think that's because we got a good group of people. I think you can say whatever you want, but if you want to create a culture and you don't have the right type of people, you will not create that. Guys can pretend and trick you, but when adversity hits, you're going to find out who people really are. So it's important to have the right type of people. Even if they're not a finished product, you gotta, you've got you've got people who care about football, who aren't entitled, who want to learn everything, who want to earn everything, who want to work. They got one goal, and that's to be the best they can. Those are the type of people you can work with, and you can build that culture the right way because you know how important it is to them. It's just as important to that person as to you. And when everyone's like that, it's easy to be hard on people. It's easy to hold people accountable because everyone kind of thinks the same. Everyone wants to be their best. So that's the important part to me is like when everyone has that team first attitude, then that's what allows Shanahan to coach them hard Mm -hmm. uh, to be, you know, to be really hard on them, knowing that this is all about the team first and not individuality. Right. And so I think when you look at Antonio Brown and him missing meetings, him being late, him getting into, you know, an argument with Ben Roethlisberger and leaving the team before must win game week 17. I, this is exactly the type of stuff Shanahan is talking about. So, I mean, obviously Antonio Brown, like you mentioned, is one of the best receivers ever, but to your point, maybe they could find production 
elsewhere in a way that doesn't disrupt their locker room and doesn't disrupt the financial structure. And I know the 49ers have cap space, but look, cap space rolls over every year. And if you're investing a significant amount of money in somebody and it doesn't work, you're going to feel that as you try to roll that cap space over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it has year to year ramifications. It's not just like, oh, it's going to it's going to hinder you in free agency this one off season because you're not going to have the same amount of cap space. No, it's it's going to hinder you going forward because you're rolling over the cap space you have every season. So I think it's an interesting discussion. And and, you know, if if Kyle Shanahan, who's who is widely regarded, I think you and I both agree that he's he's probably one of the better offensive minds, if not, you know, one of the three or four best offensive minds in the NFL. If he can get Kendrick Bourne to look like a competent player, you know, George Kittle, former fifth round pick to to set the NFL record for receiving yards for a tight end, there's a good chance he could identify a second round receiver. Um, and maybe, you know, obviously he's not going to be Antonio Brown his first few seasons, but he could become an integral part of the offense and you might be productive enough in the passing game with Jimmy Garoppolo healthy that you will not miss Antonio Brown necessarily in a way that you thought you might going going into this whole process when Antonio Brown first, you know, sort of became available on the trade market. Yeah, I didn't watch the 49ers offense last year and say they need a top three receiver in the league to succeed. That that was never that was never the case. And with Antonio Brown, I think I think a lot of the thought process uh, when people think about executing a trade for him are looking at it in a vacuum. They're saying, is the number two pick worth a top three receiver? Just it, it, let's say he's going to go get you. Let's let's decline his numbers a little bit for for or, or dip his numbers a little bit for for age so let's call it 90 catches and 1100 yards and 10 touchdowns sure like if you can get that out of the number two pick that's great but you have to factor in age then and you have to factor in team needs so then you go uh okay so maybe he's not worth the number two is he worth the number 36 like i said in a vacuum that's a trade you make 10 times out of 10 because Antonio Brown for the number 36 pick is, is very much worth it. I don't think that the risk of adding Antonio Brown matches the risk of missing on the number 36 pick, because I think they can get a receiver or a player at number 36 who can contribute for four years on a cheap deal. I like that idea way more than I like uh, the risk of adding Antonio Brown who may want a new contract, who may hold out, who may, uh, after the Niners lose two in a row, decide he doesn't want to play there anymore. There are just so many external factors to to note with Brown that you can't just go, yeah, it's the number 36 pick for Antonio Brown. Of course you do that. It's just not that easy. No, it never is. And and the human elements are always, you know, what gets overlooked in, in these type of scenarios. Um, so I think we've talked about Antonio Brown plenty, and I think it's it's... I mean, just the the idea that uh, the forty nine er thirty six is a is a valuable pick, um, and you know maybe they get their they, they get their next starting linebacker there, uh, maybe they get a cornerback who ultimately ends up replacing Richard Sherman, maybe they get the receiver who ends up being the difference. Uh, the, I mean, it's just the team dynamic and the financial structure is all really important stuff to factor in, and like you said, it it's really risky throwing all those different wrenches into the situation with Antonio Brown. You're risking, you know, you're risking financial flexibility to a certain extent and you're risking the locker room dynamic. 
And to people who downplay the locker room dynamic stuff, I'll say it again. Like the Steelers were a mess last year, despite coming into the season with a super talented roster and Super Bowl aspirations, right? Right. So if he can screw that up, he could definitely screw up something that's, you know, a lot, you know, the Niners are, are basically still in their infancy in terms of like roster construction. They have a very young team still and a lot of new pieces still. It's not like the Steelers who have had the same coach for a really long time, and the same GM for a really long time and the same starting quarterback for a really long time. Everything with the 49ers is still very new and still in this transition phase and one player could derail that because if Antonio Brown derailed what they had with the infrastructure in Pittsburgh, you're damn sure he could do it in in a more fluid situation like the 49ers have as they're trying to build this thing. So that's sort of I think that's that that has to be where the conversation goes when, when we talk about Antonio Brown. And, and maybe and I know, you know, maybe this this is the reason why Odell Beckham's name comes up, too, is like. I know Odell Beckham throws tantrums and stuff and, and maybe says some things in the media that aren't particularly great, but he hasn't completely sabotaged the Giants. I think they're, I mean, the Giants have been, you know, an, a mess for a whole bunch of reasons that don't really have to do with Odell Beckham Jr. But I think adding him, I mean, it would cost a lot more in a trade, obviously, but adding him would make more sense. And I think just his issues come with winning, come with quarterback play, things like that not necessarily, you know, give me the ball, make me look good. All these things that, uh, you know, allegedly Antonio Brown has been dealing with in Pittsburgh. So I'm starting to lean. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the 49ers should trade for one of these guys or not. There's a, there's risk both ways. I think, I mean, obviously you're going to give up a ton more for, for Odell Beckham Jr. Because you're probably going to give up at least one first round pick to pay him, you know, 18.6 million on average over the next five seasons, which is, palatable particularly if he's really good he's coming off an injury obviously Um, but that's a discussion we can have later this is about previewing the nfl combine so i wrote something for the sacramento Bee this week uh just basically the big questions the 49ers have to be asking themselves as they prepare for their trip to indianapolis uh you can find it on sacb.com slash 49ers you know, the first question I had, and and I think this is the biggest question really, is is it as simple as finding an edge rusher? Like, is that what the 49ers have to do with the second round pick? And I think it's easy to say, yeah, it probably is because, uh, you know, we, we've we talked about it at length. Getting somebody off the edge, potential uh, a potential double-digit sack guy can really transform the defense, similar to the way, you know, Alden Smith did in 2011. Um, just what he was able to bring in combination with Justin Smith and with you know the linebackers that they had in the secondary, that was really the finishing piece. And the 49ers were one of the league's best defenses in, in a number of areas, but in particular turnovers uh, because they were able to pressure the quarterback. So while you had Justin Smith playing at a really high level, you had Alton Smith playing at a really high level, maybe you could form something similar if you get a star edge rusher to pair with the Forrest Buckner. And then you see the, the turnover issues the 49ers have go away in, in a similar way they did in 2011 when Smith came in. It, Kyle, is it as easy? I know you said it a lot, like they have to add an edge rusher early on in this draft or or at least in free agency. Is it as simple for you with that number two overall pick to just take an edge rusher no matter what? Yeah, I think so. Unless they unless something happens where Jadavian Clowney or D Ford or Demarcus Lawrence, one of the top free agent edge rushers doesn't get franchise tagged and hits the open market and they sign them then I think things get interesting with the number two pick. But if that doesn't happen and 
they they aren't able to go that route in free agency, I don't see how they don't don't address that position with the number two pick. They failed to do so uh, the last couple years. I think they thought that Solomon Thomas was going to be able to do it, and he can't. They supposedly put together a better offer for Khalil Mack than the Bears did, and if they're putting together those type of aggressive offers to fix that position they they can't they can't pass up the opportunity to take one at number two like this isn't a bottom two roster in the NFL and to get a top two talent at their biggest position of need and if Nick Bosa falls a top one talent at their biggest position of need that's that's a stroke of luck that changes franchises and I think to go elsewhere with that pick given the importance of edge rushing like you said you impact the quarterback you you impact games in a way that the Niners defense couldn't last year. And it turns, it makes everybody on the defense better. So that's, that's where that position is just way, way too important to a defense to, to surpass it. I think. Yeah. And when I I think it was a, it was a miss on Solomon Thomas, not that, I mean, look, he has four sacks in two seasons. The only sack he was really credited with last year was when he was, the one closest to Derek Carr in that Thursday night game when Carr scrambled out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. That was the only sack Solomon Thomas had last year. Uh, I think the big miss on him was making him an edge rusher, and the 49ers have have struggled to give him one role. They've moved him around a lot, and they talked about drafting him that high, number three overall in 2017, because of his versatility. But I think, you know, and and Thomas has obviously dealt with a bunch of stuff off the field, Um, you know, this the death of his sister has, has been a really big thing for him in his life. And, and you can't discount what type of impact that's had on him. Um, and football is obviously secondary to things like that. But just speaking about football and what Thomas has been between the lines for the 49ers, I think asking him to be a versatile player early on has just simply been a mistake. I think he's better off against guards where he can penetrate against slower footed players. He never, he never showed uh, the bend, the explosiveness, the flexibility off the edge in college uh, that you really need to be a productive pass rusher off the edge in the NFL. So if you draft an edge player this time, then that allows you to use Solomon Thomas in a way that better that's a better utilization of his skill set. So if you draft an edge guy, then you can ask Thomas to play inside more often where he could play right next to DeForest Buckner, and you're not asking him to win against these long-armed big tackles he can win in smaller spaces against guards, which I think he's better at. Um, and when you look at Michael Bennett, the guy who, you know, he was really compared directly to when he was drafted, particularly for this scheme. I, I mean, Bennett's really good on the inside too. So I think just overall in terms of roster construction, I mean, obviously, you know, the 49ers have used three first round picks on interior defensive linemen the last four years. I, I just, and this goes to the next question that that I posed. You know, what about defensive tackle? And and we have we've had the Queen and the Queen and Williams discussion before. Um, I think we're both in agreement that I mean, obviously, you know, it it wouldn't be the best uses used of resources based on the talent already on the roster. I think bringing Eric Armstead back would make more sense. I think you know signing someone like Sheldon Richardson or even Indomitian Sue would make more sense than using that number two overall pick on a defensive tackle again. And maybe I'm wrong about Keenan Williams. Maybe he's going to be a star in the next Aaron Donald. I just happen to think there's a better chance he's Marcel Darius, who was another really highly touted prospect out of Alabama, who I think went second overall and just has been, you know, he's a good player, but I just 
I, I don't think Buffalo looks at the Marcel Darius pick in hindsight and says, yeah, that was that was something we should have done. If if um, if if you're going based on Quinn and Williams being the next Aaron Donald, then you can talk yourself into Josh Allen being the next Von Miller. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. if 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 that's if that's the kind of projection you're going to go with. <laughs> right. And then there's, you know, there's Ed Oliver of Houston, who a lot of people really like. There's Rashawn Gary of Michigan, who sort of, you know, the, the early research I've done on him, he sounds like a spitting image of rep, replica of, of Solomon Thomas in the sense that he's not really an edge guy. He's probably better on the inside. He's really athletic, but he wasn't super productive in college. He's He's a guy you're drafting for quote unquote upside. I, yeah, I just don't, I, I don't know. I just don't see, I, I, let's put it this way. If the Niners, if the Niners went defensive tackle in the first round, whether it's trading back or sitting tight at two, I mean, I, I think they should take a ton of criticism for it um, because I just don't think another defensive tackle is really going to change the defense in a meaningful way that gets the defense to where it needs to be. I think it'll probably, the defense is more likely to play a lot like it did last year with a defense, another defensive tackle in the mix rather than an edge guy who could win with speed on the outside. So if DeForest Buckner didn't look like a future all pro last season, uh, I think you could have the Quinn and Williams conversation, but with Buckner being as good as he was as an interior pass rusher, I, I, I just, I don't see the need for it. I don't. Right. And the, and the, the one point I, I will make the, the one defensible way you could, you could do this by going defensive tackle is if you decide that you don't want to pay DeForest Buckner, you know, 16, 17, $18 million a year on his next contract. Um, and that very well could be the case, but then, you know, you're, you're going to have this weird, awkward situation for the next couple of years before Buckner hits free agency with two guys. And, you know, is that going to disrupt sort of your your room your defensive line room knowing that DeForest Buckner is going to be on his way out while the team keeps him around for the next two seasons because obviously they're going to pick up his his fifth year option so yeah I just I I just don't see it unless you really just don't want to pay DeForest Buckner and from everything I gather and everything they've said and they want to pay DeForest Buckner it's just going to come down to when Buckner's agent wants to sign that deal. It could happen this off season, but you remember Buckner's agent is the same agent that works for Cleo Mack and Cleo Mack pushed back his free agency or pushed back his contract talks as, as long as he could until he got the biggest deal possible. Um, because, you know, obviously DeForest Buckner, the, the sooner he signs, the cheaper he's going to be um, because the cap is going to keep growing. And as the cap grows, that gives players leverage. I would imagine that it's his contract, his next contract isn't going to happen this offseason. I would bet, I'm not even sure what would happen next offseason, maybe after his fifth year option when he really could be making, you know, 18, 20 million a year if he stacks up, you know, more productive seasons and has double digit sacks. You know, if he strings together three double digit sacks in a row, he's going to be the highest paid defensive player in the league. Yeah, or one of them, definitely one of the if one of or if not the highest paid defensive tackle, because that's how this thing goes, right? It's like quarterbacks. It's not the best quarterback that gets the most money. It's the the most recently signed quarterback, right? Um, I think it's the same with. I mean, it's the same with any star player, really, just because the cap keeps growing, and that's just sort of how to, how the league works. So the longer Buckner holds off, the more he's going to get paid. And if the 49ers fear giving that type of financial commitment to a defensive tackle then maybe this is their opportunity to take another three technique, but 
then you're sort of in this weird, awkward purgatory of having Buckner on the team and his replacement there for the next two seasons. And does that piss Buckner off? Uh, does he decide to hold out or want demand a trade or whatever? I mean, it's, it's all speculation at this point, but I just think you're creating a, a weird scenario when you draft another defensive tackle two years after taking Solomon Thomas, you know, sort of regardless of what happens with Eric Armstead. So we've talked to, I mean, <laughs> we've talked a lot about defensive tackles and, and Antonio Brown these last, these last few podcasts, but I, I think it, I mean, they're, they're important topics because of, of what the 49, the situation the 49ers are in right now. So let's take a break to talk about ethos life insurance life can be stressful kyle but getting life insurance shouldn't be that's why there's ethos ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast incredibly affordable and very uncomplicated at getethos.com there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family, and in the most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's get-e-t-h-o-s, getethos.com getethos.com okay so back to our discussion about the questions surrounding the 49ers pick heading into the combine how do quarterbacks affect where the 49ers are so obviously you know quarterbacks can be uh, volatile commodities leading up to the draft right we saw it last year with baker mayfield a lot of people at this point thought well, maybe he's a fringe first round prospect. You know, he doesn't have the ideal height. He might not have the ideal arm strength. But as the draft process went on, people realized, wow, Baker Mayfield's a really accurate quarterback. He has all the leadership qualities you want. And he ended up going first overall in a really crowded quarterback group. I don't think the group is nearly as crowded this year, but there's still the chance that Kyler Murray, the Oklahoma star, who's the Heisman Trophy winner and Ohio State's Wayne Haskins, could be guys that end up having their stock move in a similar way to Mayfield's did last year, which for the 49ers means they might be in a position to trade back. And, and I wrote about it in, in my, in my article that, you know, really the jets are sort of the inflection point of the first round, or at least the top five, because that looks like the spot that teams are going to try to trade into uh, if they want to take a quarterback, unless one of these players proves to be worthy of the number one overall pick in a similar way Mayfield did last year, which obviously benefits the 49ers in a huge way because then they would potentially have their choice of either Nick Bosa or Josh Allen at number one uh, if the Cardinals decide to trade out. And they have a slew of needs. They could certainly afford to trade out and and get as many bites at the apple as possible. So, you know, do the 49ers trade back? Is it going to be worth it for them to trade back knowing that it might cost them a chance at getting Bosa or Allen if they like other guys in the draft say I I threw this scenario out in our in our group chat uh, with our other guys like you know if the 49ers decide to trade back and you know they really like Devin White from LSU obviously they have a need at at linebacker after losing Ruben Foster in November say they like him what if they trade back and get him and then they get you know say you mentioned the Raiders right they what they pick fourth and 24 424 and 27 for the Raiders 
Okay, so say the Niners move back to four. They decide they, they like Devin White at four, and then they get 24-2. Uh, maybe, you know, J- Ja'Kai Polite, the, the speed rusher out of Florida, who might not be as much of a slam dunk prospect as Bosa or Allen, but the Niners might be able to get two surefire starters in the first round instead of just one. Is that a scenario that they're going to consider? Um, maybe they can get, you know, they could parlay that into an additional first round pick in 2020, depending on how far they move back. I mean, there are a lot of scenarios at play, and it also depends on how they feel about the other edge rushers in this draft. Unfortunately for them, there are a lot of first round projected edge rushers. We got Josh Sweat out of Mississippi State, Brian Burns from Florida State, Ja'Kai Polite. Uh, there are just a lot of options, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not including all of them, but the quarterbacks, their stock could really help the 49ers in terms of maximizing the value out of that number two pick if they're able to trade back to a quarterback needy team. And who knows, maybe at four, you know, if it's the Raiders, say the Raiders want to punt on, on Derek Carr, then maybe the 49ers can still get Allen at four. You know, if, if Murray and Haskins go, you know, but they both go within the top three. You know, maybe it's a scenario where Bosa goes one, Haskins goes two, Allen goes three, and then the 49ers are sitting at four, and they could still get Josh Allen. I mean, that would be a really good scenario for them, particularly if they can get another first-round pick um, because they have so many significant needs. Are there any other scenarios that, that you envision would be worth trading back because the quarterbacks, you know, elevate themselves to that to that top five conversation? I don't think the – I think there are – like like six or seven teams in the top fifteen who could who could realistically take quarterbacks, and I think if you're the 49ers and you're trading into that top fifteen range, I think that's defensible, especially considering what the number two pick might go for, um, and just looking at at this year's edge class and and what type of player they would be able to get. and then and then looking you know elsewhere at other needs too at, at linebacker or wide receiver and if they're accumulating a, another first or or another early second or or something like that or or a first next year where where they can still still stockpile uh picks and and players to fill to fill needs that that would make sense but uh if they get into a scenario where they're like trading back to let's say 6 and then trading back again to 15 and and at some point, like you have to get a quality player. Like draft picks are great, but they have an opportunity to take a really, really good player. And if they're going to put themselves in a position where they jeopardize that, that's not something I think they can do. Right. And just from like a probability standpoint, the the further you go down in the draft, the less likely you are to find a superstar player. That's not to say they can't do it, but it's it just makes it more difficult. And, you know, there obviously there's a there's a better correlation between, you know, superstar players taken in the top five and superstar players taking in the middle of the first round. And the 49ers really just can't afford to not get an impact guy. So I think it's you know, it's really interesting. The Giants that or the Giants pick sixth, they need a quarterback. They might be able to get somebody like Allen or the LSU linebacker at six. The Jaguars are at seven. They need a quarterback. Denver at 10. Miami at 13. Washington at 15. Does Tennessee move on from Mariota? I don't 
think so. They're picking 19. I mean, there's there, there are going to be teams willing to move up to get their franchise quarterback, and the 49ers are, are, could have some options. So if if Haskins and Murray end up, you know, being uh, being good enough, worthy enough to to go top five, and maybe I mean I think the the best scenario overall, the the best overall scenario for the Forty ers is if one of the quarterbacks or anyone but Nick Bosa goes first overall. Yeah, that's right. I think that, you and I both it. agree. Yep. You and I both agree that Bosa's the best case scenario for the Forty ers and I would say there's probably at least a fifty fifty chance that that. Bosa isn't the first overall pick just because I mean they're they're I don't know if the Queen and Williams hype is gonna is gonna go up or down after the combine I've heard I've heard theories from from people that you know maybe he's not gonna interview particularly well maybe people are gonna wonder you know he 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 had one good year at Alabama he didn't play a whole lot the year before Mm -hmm. and obviously they've had a ton of talent along that defensive line in recent seasons but you know if if Allen doesn't test well uh, is that going to push him down the board on top of the fact that he plays a position that isn't ultra valuable or at least as valuable as an edge player? So, I mean, I think the 49ers would ideally like to have Allen have a have a really good combine and a really good pre-draft process. I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen based on what I'm hearing. So, and that's not a report or anything. That's just sort of speculation. But yeah, I mean, it, there's there's got to be a 50-50 chance at least that that Nick Bosa ends up being available at number two whether it's a quarterback or maybe Queen and Williams uh, jumping into that number one spot, which which would be an ideal scenario for the 49ers. Or maybe if that happens and Bose is available and the Raiders want to offer up four and 24 and then their 2020 first round pick to move up from, you know, from four to, to two, maybe the 49ers do that and they still end up with Josh Allen and then a slew of other first round picks. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that could happen and you never really know what's going to happen because some of these teams just get desperate and do things that are crazy. And I don't, we have, we really have no idea what make Mike Mayock is going to do with the Raiders working with John Gruden and, and Mayock not being on TV for the first time, just as an aside is, is going to be really strange. Very odd. Um, it's going to be weird, right? Like we don't know. I mean, I, I really like Daniel Jeremiah a lot, but I don't know if he's like the draft robot guru that Mike Mike Mayock has been uh, the last few, the last you know, a few years since I, since I've been covering the league. Yeah. I going back to the number two pick, if Nick Bosa falls, which I wrote about this yesterday at NinersWire.com, it seems way more likely now than it did two or three months ago. It seemed inconceivable that Nick Bosa was going to fall out of the first pick. Uh, so much so that it led to a meltdown on 49ers Twitter when they beat the Seahawks. <laughs> um, but now, like you said, it, it, it felt like 99 to 99% that he was going first uh, at the end of December to now all of a sudden, like you said, it's probably closer to 50, 50. And I don't think if, if Bosa falls to two, like we were talking about trade scenarios, I don't think there's a trade package a team could put together that would, that would entice the 49ers to trade out of Nick Bosa. Really? Yeah. So if the Raiders offered all three of their first round picks to go from four to two, you wouldn't do it? No. You could have, That's my hot you could take. Four. My hot No. Wow. My okay. So you could have four, 24, and 27, and you wouldn't move down two spots. Man. I don't know. I, I'm going to say no for now. Okay. Because I haven't done a ton of reading at the back end of yeah. the first round. 
Um, right. Although I guess I guess we we're going to talk about guys that that could go second or third round. I mean, I guess theoretically, if you're picking 27th, then there's a guy you were going to take it at at 36. You could just go get him there. But yeah, I yeah. I, I think I might do that depending on the certainty that that Allen slides to four. But yeah, that's that's a that would be that would be one I think worth considering. But I mean, anything that would include like, hey, let's uh, do a first rounder and a first rounder next year. Like, I don't think they would do that. Yeah. I mean, it, so it depends on what the jets want to do. So maybe the, maybe a team moves up, you know, way before the draft that needs a quarterback and they make that trade with the jets. And it's very apparent that the team picking third is going to go quarterback. Then if, if that happens and the Raiders want to move up to two, whether it's for Kyler Murray or Bosa or whatever, I, I mean, I would start the conversation. I'd be like, yeah, let's give me, give me your three first rounders. And I think I would do that. Like I would do that because there's a real good chance you could get Allen. Uh, you could get Devin white, the linebacker from LSU. Uh, you could probably get an edge rusher, whether it's Cleveland Farrell or Jakai Polite or Brian Burns or whatever at 24 or 27, you might be able to get two of those guys. So I'm with you. Like, I think Bosa is far and away the best option possible for the 49ers. But I mean, shit, if you can go, if you can get three first round picks by moving down two spots, that's. Yeah, no, no, I suppose. I suppose that's true. It's just one of those things where it feels like at that point, they might be overthinking it a little bit. Like you have the best player at at your biggest position of need. He dropped to you in an unlikely scenario. Like take him like that's what you do. But then again, the 49ers, you could you could argue from the other side, they need bodies. They need good players right. at a bunch of positions. And three first round picks would would certainly allow them to do that with one of them in the top four and then another in the top twenty-five. What would be wild? And and I know it's probably super out of the realm of possibility, but um we're talking about weird trades that could happen. So let's let's do this. Okay. Let's say a team trades up with the Cardinals uh, to number one and takes a QB at one. The Raiders trade their three first-round picks, uh, including number four, to move up to number two to also take a quarterback. A team then panics and trades up with the Jets to take a quarterback, and the 49ers fall into Nick Bosa at number four. <laughs> yeah. That would that that given this quarterback class, I very seriously doubt that would happen. But since, like I said, we were talking about wacky trades, I'm gonna rock with that one. Peter King would write the most gushing article about the 49ers and their draft plan, like ever. Oh, dude, he would spend six days in Santa Clara ensuring that he interviewed <laughs> everybody. One thing I, I think we should point out that's that's pertinent to this conversation. Pro football focus. I, I listen to their uh, NFL pod today and and they broke down their big board and they were the really the first ones i remember being really in on the idea of baker mayfield being the number one prospect in last year's draft they said kyler murray's their number one prospect on this year's draft today this week and that's the first time i've really heard anybody you know i I mean not everyone loves pro football focus i get it i think they do a really good job just in terms of providing a unique perspective and analytical perspective to things. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with a lot of the things that they say when it comes to scouting uh, and particularly quarterbacks for them to come out at this point and say, Kyler Murray is the best player 
in this draft class and should be, go number one. I think we might be heading down the road where where these quarterbacks really could both go, you know, in in this range that we're talking about. So I just want to throw that out there that Pro Football Focus has already planted their flag for Kyler Murray and that he's their number one player on their big board, which, you know, might uh that would be wild or 10 to something that would be wild if he wound up if the cardinals ended up trading the first pick and kyler murray went first that would be bananas yeah then the niners get boasted and they don't have to worry about any of these complicated trade scenarios so <laughs> is there is there an under the radar possibility that we're not even talking about and the reason why i pose this question is because this happened last year right the niners were largely widely expected to to take a defender whether it was you know we I really pined for Harold Landry, who somehow fell to the second round to the Titans. Um, Still don't really know how that happened. I'm still really high on Harold Landry. Um, That's probably my biggest miss of my of my draft prognosticating career. My super illustrious draft prognostication career. Yeah, Um, but but you 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 were on Stefan Diggs with me before anyone else. So, right. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Um but we, I mean, the the Niners also, you know, passed on Derwin James, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, anyway, there were a lot of defensive players last year, and just about everybody, except for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, thought the 49ers were going to go defense because, I mean, it, it bore out, right? The last, if we knew any, if we came out of 2018 knowing anything about the team is that they needed more talent on defense. That's not to say Mike McGlinchey was a bad pick. It's just going into that draft, the 49ers had good tackles in Joe Staley and Trent Brown. And we knew there were questions about Trent Brown's long-term viability just because he didn't really particularly you know, fit the scheme. He wasn't a real big watcher of film. We asked him about film one time, and he basically said, I don't really watch film. If I just play my game, no one's going to beat me, uh, which is the Yo. first time I've ever heard a football player say that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's good. He's a he's really good pass protector, uh, but he wasn't particularly good in the running game. And I think, you know, the 49ers are very conscious of that. Anyway, point being, I asked that question because we did not see at this point last year, we did not see Mike McGlinchey on the radar because the 49ers already had their tackle situation seemingly handled. Right. So could that happen again? And I mentioned, um, you know, I mentioned Devin White earlier. Is he going to be a guy? that they want to pair with Fred Warner, who I think, I mean, I'm really, really high on Devin White. I think he could be really good, particularly for the modern NFL, just given his speed and and the way he can play in coverage and things like that. You know, Jonah Williams, who the offensive tackle from Alabama, um, a lot of people think he doesn't have the length to play tackle. I think he could absolutely play tackle in the league. And, you know, maybe he plays guard, but if they do trade back and they decide not to go edge or somehow they get multiple first round picks in some scenario, like we've been talking about, maybe they go Jonah Williams because eventually they're going to have to think about life beyond Joe Staley because Staley has not committed to playing. So, you know, beyond 2019 and do you start to think about that potential need now? Is that a scenario that comes up? I don't think so. I think the 49ers are are going to sit tight and wait till next offseason to address Staley's possible replacement, but we can't really we can't entirely rule it out, right? Particularly if they really say they love Devin White, right? Say like he's their favorite player in the draft. Then it's perfectly conceivable they trade back and get him and then, you know, you know, they're they're just maybe they like Greedy Williams. I mean, they're they're just 
a number of different prospects that would make sense for them outside of Nick Bosa and Josh Allen that they could justify by moving back and, and getting multiple picks and assets to, to build this thing, you know, to take a, a wider approach to build it with multiple picks rather than just, just hope they get a, you know, their, the pass rusher they draft with the number two overall pick can really change it the way they need to. I happen to think they need they, a pass rusher would be the best way to go with the number two pick, but we can't rule out the scenario of them trading back and going a direction that none of us are anticipating like Devin white or, or Jonah Williams, because I mean, they, they're going to have, they might have a need at, at right guard, right? They, we don't know that Mike person's going to come back. Right. And, and maybe they decide to play Jonah Williams at right guard. And then when Joe Staley retires, you know, they move Mike McGlinchey to left tackle and move Jonah Williams out to right tackle. And then you're set and you don't have to worry about a rookie playing right tackle. You have a guy that's, you know, been playing in the system for a year is adjusting to a new spot. Uh, but it obviously is going to be cheaper, cheaper, player than paying a a free agent tackle who who might cost you 15 million dollars a season in 2020 if staley retires so it's it's worth asking i'm not expecting it to happen but i think it's worth asking and it's worth putting on people's radar because you never really know how all this is going to unfold yeah you have to look at kind of everything especially with the construction of this niners roster where there aren't a lot of positions where they're set like for the long-term future. You figure McGlinchey at right tackle, uh, your quarterback with with Garoppolo is is pretty much set, and I think Fred Warner is probably a foundational piece on defense. But aside from that, um, I think any position is really open. Uh, and then obviously like running back, tight end, but there, there are not many positions where they're set long-term which means you can't really rule out anything in the first round. So why don't we move on? Or do we want to call it? Or do we just want to? Uh, we can we can just go over the real quick, the day two and three guys we were kind of talking about earlier. Okay, so you have some day two and day three guys you want to discuss just to put on people's radar. I'm going to let you run with this one. Yeah, so there's a, we'll just do this really, really quick. A couple of guys uh, uh, that I've seen get mocked in the like second, third round range, uh, which which I think could fit with the 49ers. One of them's uh, Clemson cornerback Trayvon Mullen. He's six two, a buck ninety. Uh, he started for two years for the Tigers. Uh, has really good length that that the 49ers the 49ers covet with their cornerbacks. Four interceptions, seven pass breakups. He has some he has some some flaws in terms of his his athleticism. But he has that. Uh, here, you ready for this draft uh, cliche? Uncoachable, yeah. uncoachable length uh, and okay, size great. that that the Niners <laughs> like at corner. Another guy who's kind of the same way, who actually had more production in college, was Derek Beatty, a cornerback from Kentucky. He's listed at six three, one eighty eight, and I watched only a little bit of him, and he does just a really, really good job of of using his length to to make up for any lack of speed that he may have. And and using his long arms to kind of go around receivers rather than going through them, which is a problem a lot of a lot of corners in college have. Uh, so he's another guy to to keep an eye on as you start sifting through draft stuff. AJ Brown, a wide receiver from Mississippi, he might be a round one guy. Uh, Mississippi had had three really good receivers this year, and AJ Brown is actually my favorite one to watch. He's a super good route runner. He kind of reminds me of Anquan Bolden just in terms of his. Um, his just like size and skill set. He's listed at 6'1", 225. He recently posted a photo with DK Metcalf 
uh, one of the other Mississippi receivers on Twitter where they're both just yoked out of their minds. I, yeah, I've seen it. It's, they don't look like receivers. If it, it, ser- But seriously, like it, almost to the point that it's alarming, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't have that guy at receiver because he's so <laughs> damn big. Um, but he's a really good, like just the kind of guy that when you watch him, it's like you could see where Kyle Shanahan would fall in love with a guy like this because he's fast enough to get open deep, but size and athleticism aren't the main uh, characteristics that allowed him to get open in college. He's a, he's a just really technical route runner. He's good in all areas of the field. And somebody, if he slips down to 36, uh, I could see the 49ers uh, sprinting to the podium to take him. And then the three other receivers that we kind of talked about in that in that same day two, uh, maybe early day three range, are Debo Samuel and Andy Isabella, two guys that lit up the senior bowl. Uh, Andy Isabella is like dumb fast. He is... He is, uh, I, I saw, I saw a thing that he ran a faster hundred meter than Chris Johnson did in high school. I think I that's thought. fast. Yeah. He's, he's really fast. And then Riley Ridley, uh, just a classic kind of, uh, one of those guys that you not a ton of production as uh, a receiver from Georgia, but Calvin Ridley's brother. Yeah. Calvin Ridley's brother, not a ton of production, but somehow is just kind of always open. And does a does a really good job of that. And when Kyle Shanahan looks at receivers, that's what he wants. He, good technical route runner. Uh, can you get open? Can you catch the ball? Can you separate from from press coverage? And and Ridley can do all those things. And then Debo Samuel is super fascinating. I don't. He looks watching watching the Senior Bowl practices and and the clips and things like that. Like he looks like the exact receiver Kyle Shanahan wants to play Z. Yeah. Like he looks like a young. Uh, Pierre Garcon and he has enormous hands I forget what they measured in that but big hands for receivers good um FYI yeah and his his production just doesn't his <laughs> his production just doesn't really match like what you see when you watch him uh he played five games his freshman year 10 games his sophomore year he had 59 catches for 783 yards and one touchdown then the next year he played three games with 15 catches for 250 and three touchdowns but his senior year last year 62 catches for 882 yards and 11 touchdowns. The thing that stands out to me and the reason that I could see the 49ers falling in love with him is he had 25 rushing attempts and averaged 6.2 yards per attempt with seven rushing touchdowns. That's the kind of thing that he also did. He also did kick returns at South Carolina and, and and excelled in that area as well. He had four kick returns for touchdowns. And that's something that Kyle Shanahan has mentioned that he likes when scouting a receiver. And, and Samuel is just the kind of player that you put the ball in his hands and he makes plays. He gets open. He can separate. He's not huge, but he, he uh, like you said, there were a bunch of clips of him at the Senior Bowl shaking cornerbacks in the red zone and getting open, which is something the 49ers really need. So I, I really, really like Debo Samuel a lot. Cool. I think that's going to wrap it up. We're going to record. Are we going to record on Monday? Um, I think so. I think that's the plan. All right, we'll record on Monday. We'll have another podcast for you uh, on Monday. I'm heading to Indy on Tuesday. Um, TBD on the schedule once I get there. It'll be my first trip, so I'm not entirely sure what the schedule is going to be like, uh, but I am bringing all my really high-tech podcasting equipment, uh, and we will record live from Indianapolis. So we're going to have a bunch of content coming about you know NFL draft content and combine content. Uh, and we will continue having these discussions. 
Um, they will be more informed discussions after the combine once we have all the numbers and talking to people and scouts and uh, things like that. So keep it locked to Candlestick Chronicles. Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Shout out to the Blue Wire Network. We are out.